The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. <laughs> amen, amen. Some of the saints, I just hear them in my spirit talking. Rebecca, you know, you should do a, a, a cast, like, uh, credits. Because the cat didn't get any, the cat came in the picture, but it didn't get any, you know. People didn't recognize the cat. I recognize the cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. That was good. Give it up for the children's sermon. Give it up for the children's sermon. The, uh, I, I, I figured out a name. Y'all, y'all, last week, Richard made it clear that Whitney is his daughter uh, and that um, she was singing, but they brought the whole Reeves clan. And so I, I thought, amen, amen. It dawned on me. I had a revelation as I was sitting there. You know, every, every, I remember when you, a, a group would get up or something was saying, the pastor would automatically begin to give them a name. And I thought about a name. Y'all ready? I, I was thinking Revelation 3, you know, but to make it short, R3. Give it up for R3, everybody. Give it up for R3. Amen, amen, amen. No, we were were blessed by that, and thank you guys for using your gifts. I think it is an incredible testimony to God's faithfulness to see your children singing to the Lord um, and walking in the Lord. Amen, somebody? That's that's what I hope for my family. So thank you, Richard, and uh, thank the R3 group for blessing us this morning. Uh, as you have been joining us, and is that Shekinah back there? I just want to make sure. Shekinah, all the way from Miami, Florida. Give it up for Shekinah. <laughs> Shekinah going to work well with my sermon because we're talking about that Shekinah glory. Amen. Whoa, my goodness. Felt it in my left foot. Uh, as, we, uh, as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I, I was thinking about this heavily. This is, we have two, this is this Sunday and then the next Sunday. Um, and God, I think he's been saying something to us. Uh, and I don't know if we've, we've listened, we've heard him, but if you were to just recap and we think about what Richard made the point of last week, was that Christ was born so that we may be reborn. Sometimes we can hear that, and that can go over our heads. But if you know anything about losing people this year, you know that death is real. And so the birth of Christ and the rebirth of individuals who who have eternal life is far more of a reality, a supreme reality in which that we need to grasp. In this Advent season, I don't think that we should overlook the fact that we and John has been trying to help us see clearly. The radiance of Jesus Christ in the manger could be uh, dimmed down when we are looking for him in a certain way. When we're looking for him to come in chariots, and come in all of his glory, and all of his 
royal attire, sometimes we miss what he is doing. We miss the life everlasting. And lo, and lo and behold, many of us thirst for that. We long for that. And our hearts cry out for that. And so when we look at our text this morning, I want us to know and think back as to what has God been trying to say to us all year long? What has he been trying to articulate to you? How has he been trying to show himself to each of us? See, if you were to remember the moment where you woke up late and you woke up trying to get prepared for that exam and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I missed the interview. I missed the exam. I'm late for the early morning flight. I'm late for class. I'm late for that very important meeting. Do you remember that feeling? You remember the flutters in your heart, the anxiety you felt. You tried to put your pants on. You forgot to brush your teeth. You just, you forgot your deodorant. All because you're get, trying to get out of the house because you don't want to miss what was planned, the pressure, the nervousness, the shame flooding your mind and your heart, all because you do not want to miss the planned event. You don't want to miss the place you're supposed to be. We hate missing things. Many of us hate missing our favorite Netflix show, even though that is recorded. Amen, somebody in my line. Many of us hate to miss the concert. We hate to miss the previews at the movie theater. We hate missing things at times. Some of us don't hate missing things. We're okay with being late. And that's a problem within itself. But when you think about the reality of what it means for us to feel the pressure of missing something, we have to relate that to, did we miss the brilliance of Jesus Christ. Let me read our text. John 1, 14 through 18 says this. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh. You just circle became, if you will. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son. From the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He made himself, he made, he has made known, him known. He has made him known. Very words of God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that you help us to hear your word, see your word, 
and receive your word. I pray, God, that the speaker, me, hides beneath your cross. And I pray, God, that you are exalted beyond all of our comprehension. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together. Amen. So the question I have then, if you remember what it means to miss anything, what have you missed this year? I know you've missed some of us going on that vacation trip, taking, uh, taking that, that rest that's well needed, being with family. There are several different things that we've missed. But did we miss God during this season? N.T. Wright said this in an article. Christmas is not about living, about the living God coming to tell us everything's all right. John's gospel isn't about Jesus speaking the truth and everyone saying, of course. Why didn't we realize this before? It is about God shining his clear, bright torch into the, bright, into the darkness of our world, our hearts, our lives, our imaginations, and the darkness, not comprehending it. It is about God. God is a little child speaking words of truth and nobody knowing what he's talking about. This morning, I don't want to just mention the notion of us missing the brilliance of God's radiance because that's what we see that the religious leaders did. They missed him. They attacked him because they said that you cannot be the one that claims to be the fulfillment of the law. You cannot be the one to claim to be the son of God. You cannot be the one to claim to give eternal life. Who are you to forgive sins? Who are you to be the one that can change absolutely everything? Who are you to proclaim that you are divine? Who are you to, comp- to proclaim that you are fully God and fully man? Who are you to do such a thing? They missed it, all because they were trying to perceive God through their own human lens. I don't want to just talk about the how, I mean, I don't want to just talk about the notion of missing his brilliance, but I want us and I want to expound upon how and why. I think the how is oftentimes we drift when there is no consistency. We drift in our faith. We drift in our hope. We drift in our view of God and how lofty it should be. Instead, life becomes about surviving and not thriving in Christ alone. But yet, we oftentimes say to ourselves, the reason why is because life is hard. God hasn't responded. I haven't heard him. Or is it we have not seen him as as he ought to be perceived? Here's the big idea. God has made himself known in order for us to share the radiance of his glory. Last week, Richard made a very key point of that the message was evangelistic in some sense, but a reminder to the believer that we ought to believe in the God who was rejected by the people. But sometimes our hearts naturally reject God Because 
he doesn't come or we can't perceive him with our own minds. And so what does God want us to do? He wants to, what does God want to do? He wants to live amongst his people. That's, that's, the, that's the point that I want to develop this morning. God has made himself known so that he can live amongst us. That's, that's enormous. That is a biblical theme throughout the entire Bible that we cannot miss. And I think John is just doing so much work in this prologue that sometimes we can over, uh, we, can, we can miss uh, some of the very important allusions to the Old Testament. So when, when I talk to this, I, I won't go through the typical verse by verse, line by line. I just want you to be aware of that. But what I want to do is highlight and elevate what John is trying to do for his readers. Because like I mentioned last time, if you are an individual from the Hellenistic Greek point of view, you're looking at this duality of light and darkness, and now you're looking at this duality of God saying that he is flesh and that he is divine and trying to put your mind around that. Sometimes I think many of us may be like, okay, what does that mean for us? And how do, how, you know, how do we apply that today? I think oftentimes it's difficult for us to believe in a God that we cannot see. It's difficult for us to believe in the forces of spirituality that we cannot tangibly put our hands upon. And so oftentimes when we read this prologue of John, the literary devices that he uses is in order for us, in order for the mind to trigger back and remember what the entire story is trying to say. Because remember, John is already came. He's already been before Jesus, but what does he say? But Jesus was really before me. I am a witness. And in being that witness, what John is trying to articulate to the people is that what God wants to do is not simply come and be around us and show that he is powerful. He wants to live and reside, take up residence with us. How do we know this? Because he became flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh addresses God's humiliation. Jesus humbling himself in order for us to know that he wants to be around his people. It's hard for us in a society that has a, higher, a hierarchical level of government and officials and people in our lives. We wouldn't think, why would, the, uh, why would a government official want to be around us? Why would a celebrity of such importance as somebody would want to be around us? Why would the Queen of England want to be around us? Why would people of high, uh, high, uh, high esteem want to be around lowly people? We've created that structure in our society because of the brokenness in which we value one another. Because of one's status, we therefore keep, we put them in a particular place. But what if I were to tell you that the Bible reminds us that we all have inherent dignity, worth, and value? I'll expound upon that a little bit more, but when you think about this, that in the beginning, he's tying the word here for the first time back to the word at the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The dissension of Jesus Christ must not be overshadowed by his deep love and affection for his people. Again, I think so many people, are, and, and um, I was watching the, the Equalizer, and when Denzel Washington, Equalizer 2, 
right? I, I like Denzel in action movies because I just cannot imagine Denzel Washington fighting in real life for some reason. But when he rescued the young man out of the drug house or out from the game, when the young man was just given a gun and he was about, he was encouraged to go take vengeance or get revenge for his brother's death. Denzel Washington being as incredible as he is, um, he walks in and rescues the young man and he says, is this the life you want for you? And the young man says, why me? Why me? Oftentimes you have to think to yourself and you should ask yourself, why did God save me? Why am I am the only one in my family that has received salvation? Why am I the only one in my family that is able to hear the gospel and know that it is able to change my life? Why me? Why, is it, why does it start with me? Why does the generational curse start with, uh, stop here and I begin to go in a different direction? Why me, God? Because he loves you. He wants to live with you. He, want, he cares for you. And when Christ wrapped himself in human flesh, just like this man being wrapped in a manger with cloth, in, in other words, he is trying to help us to see that he can, you can comprehend him through something that is tangible. The historical Jesus. The facts that Josephus and other, and other historians have verified the fact that he was real. The incarnation is not just a story. It's not just some fairy tale. But it is a reality. And when you think about that, you have to say to yourself, then why does the divine glory of God, who is absolutely incomprehensible, come to my finite mind? It's because he is begging to come into your heart. Last week, Richard pleaded with us to see that God wants us to be loved and cared for well and that we ought to be in relationship with him. And see, that goes beyond and blows all of our theological categories. In fact, it blows up the, the tablets that Moses was given. Remember, Moses was given and received two tablets of stone from the word of God that was etched on these things for the people, for the people of God to take in hand. But God said, that, 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 that's not good enough. That, that, that's not where it ends. It doesn't end on the Mount Sinai where the people down the, the mountain are, are acting a fool. It doesn't end with me just revealing myself in a cloud or in a tabernacle or in a tent of meetings. It begins, it, it begins simply with me showing myself as a witness to my people in human flesh. D.A. Carson says this. He says that from those tablets, John is writing, is witnessing the word of God, witnessing the word of God as a self-expression made in human form. Jesus humiliated himself just to be closer to you. So when you're asking yourself, why me? When you're going through all of the things that you're going through mentally and not understanding why is my story the way it is? Why didn't I grow up with two parents in my household? And why didn't I grow up without having to, to struggle? And why didn't I grow up with having, you, you may struggle and ask yourself all of these questions. You may ask yourself, why do I have a better life than some of my peers? Why is it that my parents can stay together and they didn't get divorced like my friend Ted's friend got divorced or like my friend Antoine 
one's parents got divorced. Why, why, is it, why is it that I have to go through these things? Why do I have to be a mother only raising my kid by myself and the, 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 the father of the child doesn't want to be around? Why are these things here, God? Why do you care about me? Because all of this around me says that I'm not worthy to be cared about. Jesus humiliated himself just to be closer to you. You see what I'm saying? If you don't understand that Jesus humbled himself, you have to understand, then you will continue to question the fact of what it means to live this life. He didn't just sit on his throne. And he has a plan. And understand that he has that plan. You can see what John is doing when he is trying to wrap our minds around the fact that, okay, he became flesh, which became actually ties to when you think about verse 18, that he, he has made him known. You can go all the way back up to verse 2, where it says that all things, verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then you can look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. You see this repetitive language that John is using throughout this prologue? Why would he do this? I want you to think about your favorite poem. I want you to think about reading Dr. Seuss. My son was reading the other day. It's fascinating when kids begin to read because you're like, man, I can't just spell a word anymore like S. Like, like, like you know, I'll tell Serena, like, oh, it's time for him to take an NAP. I know what it is. It's a nap. Yeah, yeah, he was like, okay, I can't spell anymore because they can read. But he was reading Dr. Seuss. And when reading Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss would say, I cannot be a train without being something, something. I could not do the, the green eggs and ham. Y'all know, I can't remember. I was a dog way. And, and when you think about what Dr. Seuss does, he is using the same rhythm and words and rhyme in order for the child to remember, right? Because when, they, when you say do a, tr- a gajillion times, then you, you'll memorize the word. When you say rain and it rhymes with train, you, you'll, remember, you'll memorize those words. What John is trying to do is have us memorize the gospel. Internalizing the reality that God wants to live within us, so then we have to believe it. That's John 20, 19, where we understand that John is trying to make the plea with believers who've who've already, I mean, with, um, with, with Jewish individuals who are trying to understand God, he is trying to remind them of the fact of what the word is. It was made, it was made, it was made, but then it dwelled. He dwelled. Christ dwelling with us is an, is an illusion. To what? The tabernacle. Y'all probably remember when I talked about the tabernacle a couple years ago through Revelation 21. When this picture of uh, the new heavens and the new earth opening up and it says that, that Jesus is dwelling with his people and then what does it say? There will be no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain. We can go on. There will be no more violence, no more hurting, no more disease. All of the things that are broken in the world will be washed away. Coronavirus won't have to, we won't have to fear it anymore. These things won't cause us to fear. Why? Because Jesus is tabernacling literally with his people, which means, what it means dwelling amongst us, staying with us all throughout our lives. But the picture of God tabernacling with his people is a picture that we have to connect directly to the Exodus with them being in the wilderness. What does it mean to be in the wilderness? Oftentimes, being in the wilderness for the children of Israel meant that they were going through confusion. 
they were going through suffering. They could not put their minds around where they should go and be. I think that it caused them to be restless. There should be a restlessness within us. The relation that we have to the Exodus and to the children of Israel, there should be many of us that are, that are, that are restless with this world today. There should be a countercultural nature to our lives. And the reason is, is that we should find our peace not in the fact that things will be all right on earth. We should find our restfulness not in the fact that God will simply cause all of, all of the stars to align and things will not hurt anymore on earth. But we should find it in Christ and him alone. This restfulness, this restlessness, and the doubt and the, the intense uncertainty should cause us to have a deeper dependence upon God. Unlike Israel, when we've seen time and time again, their anxiousness, their doubtfulness, their uncertainty caused them to try to create another idol, create another God, create their own peace, to create their own rest, to make things better for themselves because they could not be patient with God. And I think, beloved, we struggle with that. It's hard for us to understand that God is with us when we don't see him. He's the very tabernacle amongst us. He's taking up residence right here in your hearts and in your minds. And I'm not here to convince you. I think the Bible does it all. But here's what I think it ties to even furthermore that this tabernacle, this meeting place, spiritual meeting place was a sign of God's presence. But was it, what was funny was in Matthew 8, 20, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have a nest, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. How is it that God desires to take up residence, wants to be closer to you, but he's acknowledging that he feels homeless? Do you feel the emptiness? Do you feel the void? Just like the anticipation of you opening up that favorite gift, kids, that one thing that you've been waiting for on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, and there's nothing in the box, how would you feel? Someone's taken all of this time to wrap some absolutely nothing. But that's where the fullness of grace and truth comes in. We don't have a gift that's wrapped of nothing. We have the fullness of God. And in having the fullness of God, we have to make that same declaration. God does not come to find rest in our, uh, God does not find uh, his rest in our theologies. He doesn't find rest in our, in our, in our ideologies. He doesn't find rest in our religious practices or our spiritual disciplines. God finds rest. He finds his, and, and when I'm saying rest, I'm simply saying God finds his residence in your heart, in the deep recesses of your heart, in the ugliness of your heart. He's not, he's, he's used to your brokenness. He, he's come in order to live right there. He's not coming for you to clean up your house. 
He wants to live in the mess. And so when, you, when, we, when we get that, it changes the paradigm because when God makes the declaration throughout the, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, he says the declaration is that God makes, he's delivering the people out of Egypt, and he says, these are my people. What's been resonating with me lately, what God has been ministering to me lately, let me, let me tell y'all how, how my why, my how, is there are two songs that, like, they have the I am statement. It's the good, good father. It says, uh, 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 it's who I am, right? That part right after it's talking about God the Father. And then also it's man of your word where it says, I am who you say I am. And when I'm, when I'm reciting those things to myself, it reminds me that when God says, I am your God and you are my people, you're my treasured possession, he's giving you inherent dignity, worth, and value right there. Not in your ex- success or accomplishments. Not in the things that you do well. Not in the things that you merely feel as if like you can keep together. Not in the next move that you make. Not in all of the things that you do. You're treasured. You're precious. And so when I start singing that song, I'm just in the car and I'm, and y'all know me. Y'all probably had this. If y'all ain't seen me on popular acting a fool swerving because I'm worshiping the Lord, it's all right. But I'm, I'm screaming, I am who you say I am, Lord. Because the world is calling me something else. Let me just let you enter into my mind. As a black man, the world is calling me a threat. The world is, is perceiving me to be something that I don't think that I am. The world says that I need to look a particular way. The world says that my skin, the, dark, the darker my skin, the more difficult it will be for me to enter into certain spaces. The world is telling me that I don't have value because the way that I was born. See, I, I remember when I, I got to go back, not only to that, but when, when, when kids would make fun of me when I was in, and I was in school or whatnot because I was dark-skinned and I had a gap. So I would come home, my aunt and my mother would have to remind me, and then all of the older, more seasoned women would say, brother, uh, baby, black of the berry, the sweet of the juice. I said, you know, one day I went back to school, I was like, black of the berry, sweet of the juice. It just blew their mind, they didn't even understand. Like, I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But here it is. We've defined ourselves to trying to manage our image and trying to make sure that we look a particular way, that we are a particular way. You may not be dark skinned, but you may have some things, some, some, you may have some flaws that you don't want to reveal. You mask it with the mascara. You hide it with, with, with trying to wear certain things. You, try to make sure that it may not be the exterior, it may be the interior. You try to hide the ugliness of your heart by trying to good, do good deeds. Trying to make sure that you tell everybody what's going on and how things are going well. But what happens when you can't hide it anymore and you begin to break down? Are you reminded that your earthly value is maximized not in what you do, but in who God has made you to be? Are you living in the daunting task of trying to make sure that you uphold this picture of somebody who is strong and somebody that got it all together, but you ain't worked through all of your trauma? I'm here to tell you, beloved, I don't care if you are a CEO in the boardroom or I don't care if you are a dope dealer in the trap house. God has you no matter where you are. And he can... He can take up residence in the boardroom and he can take up residence in the dope house. We got to believe it, though. We have to believe it. 
Because when we believe it, we share the radiance of his bridge. It shines through us. Because when you are living in troubled situations, people are are blown away on how you can keep it all together. Right? There are so many um, single mothers who are working on their education, doctoral degrees, working on trying to get an extra degree. There are women who have worked in the home for so long that they didn't know how to find what they were going to find their identity in. And then next thing you know, at the age of 45 or 50, that they, they went on ahead and they pursued that extra education. And a lot of times, often people would say, I don't know how you did it. I don't know, I don't know how you made that happen. And oftentimes people don't realize the support that the person has and what is around them. That is the same idea that we ought to have about ourselves. You should be always asking yourself, I don't know how I'm making it through life. But there is a God that is taking up residence, tabernacling with me, helping me through some of the darkness, some of the fog, some of the things that I cannot see, and yet I am still here standing on that very word today that became flesh. God reveals himself through this gospel narrative for us to understand that he's already been seen. Look at what John says. He says that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now you can go right down to verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God. Is he contradicting himself? No. You can see God's glory without seeing God. Moses asked God, show me your face. I can't show you my face, Moses. You won't just pass out. You may actually die. I'm fair. I, I, I always think about, or I was in a barbershop, and I always think about, I, I do always think about this moment. I'm in a barbershop. I'm in a chair. I go to an old, crusty barbershop. Right. And so if you want to know anything about me, Mike, why don't you just shave your own head? Well, first of all, you know, it's self-care for me. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> okay. Some people get the nails done, I get my hair done, okay? Uh, but, but, I'm all, he showed us this Michael Jackson concert. I've never been to a Michael Jackson concert. Anybody ever been to a Michael Jackson concert? Okay. I've never been to one. And Michael, ja- the Michael Jackson concert, you just see these people crying fainting, passing out, shaking, going insane as soon as Michael, J- I mean, he was sitting on the stage like this. I probably he just, ah, ah, ah. Mike ain't made a move. He just stand up for a good 10 minutes. And folks, they didn't have to, to cut people off already. Like, I'm like, golly. Mike ain't made a move, and then boom, Mike do this, everybody, ah, a whole nother wave of fear. I mean, it's like Benny Hinn, uh, uh, <laughs> Mike just make a move, folks fall out. Folks fall out, I'm like, God, it is unbelievable. And so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I relate this to, like, Mo, God telling Moses, look, I'm not Michael Jackson. You won't just fall out, you're going to die. 
And that's what we have to realize that God, John is not contradicting himself. What, God, what John is saying is God has shown signs. Look, when you look at uh, uh, John 2, 11, where he, the first sign, the first of his signs was Jesus did, did at Cana in Galilee was manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. People didn't believe him though. And this was a sign of God's glory being seen, but yet you didn't necessarily see the face of God, didn't see God. So he's made himself known, but yet people could, could miss him because they didn't, they're not focusing. They're not understanding. They can't perceive him. Are y'all tracking with me? And so these folks didn't fall out. And you can look at Luke 9, 23, where God reveals himself through on the mountain of transfiguration. And what happens, the disciples begin to build altars because they, they, were, they, had, they were fascinated at the brilliance of God's radiance. Yet they did not see the face of God. And they were still alive. Here's the point. John, John 11 says that God used Lazarus' death as a sign of his glory. John also says in the Bible, you can look at this thing, that through his exaltation, through his humiliation, especially through his death, what he was doing was glorifying himself, showing you his glory. We've seen his glory in his word. The people at that time seen his glory manifested in miracles. We, seen, we see his glory in some of the miraculous efforts that's happened in people's lives today. But sometimes because we're in our minds and we think God has to fit into our systematic theology, we miss him. But yet he's done a miracle in your life. He's shown his glory to you in his life, in your life. Why? How has he done that? from the things that he saved you from, the unseen. There are certain things that you don't see that God is operating in the background making things happen. He is at the forefront and he's in the backstage. He's omnipresent and absolutely competent to do all that you cannot do. And so when you think to yourself, how has God manifested himself? It is important to know that the glory of God manifested himself in the incarnate word and it was full of grace and truth. Now when you take that, you have to ask yourself, what does it mean to understand this full of graces and this grace and truth? It's intriguing to me that God, that Moses begged God to reveal his glory to him in Exodus 30, 33 and 18. But we see God revealing his glory and grace and truth to us. We ain't got to beg. We don't have to ask God to show me your glory, to manifest yourself to me. We can just open our ESV, our NIV, our KJV. We can open up our Bibles, our podcasts. We can devote ourselves to his word. And there it is. His glory is manifested to us. We can begin to pray that God reveals himself in various different ways in our lives, even through our children. A couple weeks ago, my son said, Daddy, I want to take the cup and the wine. I mean, the cup and the wine, the same thing, the bread and the wine. And it was there, I said, God, you are revealing yourself. He doesn't even know what he's asking for. He just might be hungry because I forgot to give him something to eat. But God's using his appetite to desire something more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you hear what the Bible is saying? 
And when you see that, when, let, me, let, me keep, let me keep working it out. When you see that God's grace and his truth are characteristic of God, God's divine being, and he's revealing himself in this intimate way to experience him, what you have to understand is that when God begins to show his glory, he exposes your ugliness. We often think that God shows his glory and then all these things, this good that happens. No, God shows his glory and then it shows your doubt. Isn't that happened with the religious leaders? God makes manna come, God brings, uh, breaks, breaks bread, turns into the fishes and, 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 and I mean, uh, multiply the fishes and the loaves, feeds all of the helpless and harassed, takes care of people, and people are saying, no, you can't be the son of man. You're Beelzebub. You're doing, you're doing demonic stuff. Isn't that funny? We miss his brilliance because it exposes what's going on in our heart, the doubt and how we perceive God. But then it also exposes our, the brokenness in our society. Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times, it blew me away. I wrote, read the, the article uh, about the sex trafficking that's been normalized in porn. So many of us are, um, Rebecca was just telling us this week, that kids are, being, uh, are becoming, succumbing to pornography because computers and laptops are not screened or secured well at home through this virtual learning. But, but what he said in this article, I'm going to read a piece, that supposedly the wholesome porn hub attracts 3.5 billion visits a month. More than Netflix, Yahoo, or Amazon, Pornhub, Pornhub rakes in money from, the, from almost 3 billion in, in impressions a day, in ad impressions a day. One ranking, ranking listed Pornhub as the 10th most visited site, website in the world. Yet, there's another side of the company. Its, si its site is infested with rape videos. It monetized child rapes, revenge pornography, spy cam videos of women showering, racist and misogynist uh, content, and footage of women being exfistic, um, y'all know what I'm saying, suffering, I can't even say a word right now, uh, in plastic bags, a search for girls under 18, no space, or 14 or, uh, or older or younger, leads to, leads in each case to more than 100,000 videos. Most aren't children being assaulted, but too many are. It ex God exposes what's going on in our world. That's ugly. When you thought slavery was over, it has still been going on. We can't just fight for justice and allow the lust of our hearts to continue to help us, to continue to fall into these traps. God is revealing himself to you. Not only is he that, he's exposing himself through, through young men and women who are attracted to gangs and street life. They are looking for love because, and affection through somebody who's going to give them some, some poison in their life, to somebody that's saying, I care about you and nobody's going to take care of you, but I'm going to look out for you. All of this is calling, causing young men and women to struggle and wrestle in their lives because they don't feel like they got somebody at home to care and love for them. It exposes what's going on in our life, in our world. God's glory exposes our hearts. Many of us 
who prioritize several different things over our children's spiritual development. We prioritize extracurricular events. We prioritize every single thing. We prioritize all of these things over, over our children's spiritual development. Why? It exposes what's going on in our life. Not only that, it exposes what's going on in our hearts, the way we think about neighbor, the way we think about self, the way we think about God and worship. The grace is this. You are not perfect. Our world is not perfect. God in his fullness intervenes to make himself known in order for us to trust and depend on him. He wants to be closer to you. And here's the truth. God redeems and he uses us to be redemptive change agents. That is why he has made himself known in order for us to share the brilliance of his radiance. Beloved, we have to see it when we come to the table. We have to see it when we're singing our songs. We have to see it when we're in our own devotional times. I pray and hope that as you prepare your hearts and your minds this week to receive gifts, that you challenge one another and yourself to receive the ultimate gift and to understand that he may not be under that tree. He's taking residence in your hearts. Father, we love you. We thank you so much because you consistently remind us that we need you. We're in a world that puffs us up and tells us that we don't need anybody but ourselves. I pray, God, that many of us virtually and in person trust in you and see that you're taking up residence in our hearts day in and day out. And God, as we do, I pray that those that don't know you and that have been struggling, Lord, I pray that they, that they give a call to, to Richard or myself, um, Lord, that they give a call to Adriana or to Sir Gregory or Kevin, someone on Rebecca, someone on our staff, just to reach out to to want to know you more. And I pray, Jesus, that we see victory and strongholds broken. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together.